Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Maury Teharipour is the author of Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. She is a globally recognized executive, highly sought after speaker and negotiation expert who has worked with some of the most iconic sports leagues and Fortune 100 corporations over the past 20 years. She teaches negotiation and dispute resolution at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where she is an eight-time recipient of awards for excellence in teaching. Top business publications and media outlets, including ESPN, Forbes, Inc., and NPR, have featured her work. She's also a contributor to sports discussions on Wharton Business Daily on Sirius XM. Her current and past clients include Goldman Sachs Foundation, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Players Association, National Football League, the Timberland Company, UPS, Wasserman, Wells Fargo, and the White House Fellows Program. Maury is a member of the Board of Directors for USA Track and Field, a member of the Board of Trustees of the Women's Sports Foundation, a Global Sport Fellow with the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University, and an advisory board member of the Sports Leadership and Administration Undergraduate Degree Program at UMass Boston. As I'm reading her bio, I'm realizing we probably should have talked more about sports, which we didn't talk about really at all, but I guess next time. Anyway, Maury earned her BA from Barnard College of Columbia University, her MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and a diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell University. Welcome, Maury. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Oh, when I started reading your book, I was like having 
PTSD flashbacks to my business school negotiation <laughs> class myself, which, you know, I was probably the girl that you referenced who you know, capitulated way too easily to the more aggressive man in the negotiation. <laughs> but why don't you tell listeners in general what your book is about and what made you decide to write it? So yeah, it is like the antithesis to most negotiations books, I think. I've been teaching negotiations for a little over 17 years now, almost 18 years at the Wharton School. And I never would have imagined myself writing a book. Actually, I never would have imagined teaching. So those are two things that I now have done that I never would have thought I would ever do, but that's a whole different story. But after teaching this class for quite some time, it's really interesting that you started the conversation this way, because I find that this is one of those subjects where either A, people take it because they think they're horrible at it, and this is just a practical skill they're going to need, or B, they have like PTSD, right? They have this fear of it that they are like, this is, I'm just going to throw myself into it and, and get over it. Right. And maybe then there's the C category of people who think they're the world's greatest negotiator. So this is going to be (laughs) exactly what I want to do. And so after teaching it for quite some time and realizing that my philosophy around it is so different, that this is really something that we do all the time, that this is, first of all, it's a learned skill and nobody's born you know, great negotiator. I mean, some things may come naturally to some folks, but it's truly a learned skill. And more importantly, it's something we do all the time. And we just don't even think that that's what we're doing, but it's literally every conversation you have with yourself, every decision you make, husband, kids, dogs, you know, merging onto traffic on the highway. I mean, these are all literally negotiations that we have every day. But it's that people associate it with something that's transactional or has been really difficult or they've been taken advantage of or there's like all this fear. So I thought, you know, if people just looked at themselves and all those different aspects of their life that they actually negotiate really well, but don't even give themselves credit for that being in negotiations, these are transferable skills. So my book was really meant to be accessible It was supposed to take sort of fear away from negotiations and make it less about a transaction that could go wrong, but more about everyday conversations that we have, that it's really a way for us to to speak our voice, to speak our mind, to to better get to know ourselves. So a big part of this book is a journey. And it's it actually reads like an autobiography. It's my story and the story of a lot of my students, but it's to empower my students and my readers and to say, really take a look at yourself. It's not the world that makes you a bad negotiator. It's not that that you don't have the skills for it. It's that you sort of get in your own way. And if you can clear up some of those cobwebs and deal with some of those scars, then, you know, everybody can be a great negotiator. And that was, that was really the premise of it is just to tell a story and make it accessible and hopefully empower people. Well, I'm interested in discussing both some negotiation tips and also your story. So on the negotiation side, you referenced quite often the importance of really being true to yourself and using your emotional intelligence to inform your negotiation tactics and you know the sort of authenticity, bringing a piece of yourself to whatever the discussion is. And then also, you know, sometimes overcoming parts of your personality like the pleasing people pleasing tendency that so many of us have or maybe so many people I know, or maybe just me, whatever. Anyway, I was curious, how exactly do we take our personalities and the strengths of those when the person we're negotiating with, like, doesn't want to listen to that? I mean, like, I can be as, as empathetic and well-reasoned, but there are some people who they don't respond well to that. So how do you, how do you handle something like that? 
So and I kind of talk about negotiations as this sort of multi-step process and four-stage process. And, and the first one is really what we all know to be important, right? Preparation. Everybody knows negotiations. You have to be well prepared, know your facts, know what you want. And then the second sort of stage of that is what we call information exchange. And that's when you sort of first get to know somebody or you first sit down with them if you already know them, or this is where you sort of express your intentionality for what it is that you're about to discuss or that in, in exchange that's about to take place. But it's really that kind of getting to know you phase. It's where we build rapport. It's where we build connections with people. And people either don't really know that this stage really exists or they, they kind of don't spend enough time there and sort of breeze through it and go right to what that third stage is where everybody sort of associates with negotiations, which in my mind is actually sort of the least important, but that's actually the bargaining or the negotiations phase where it's the more transactional conversation. And the last stage is just whether you make a deal or you don't make a deal. And and that second stage information exchange is probably the reason I love teaching this subject and probably the reason why I love negotiations, because that's where you sort of infuse humanity into this process. And, and the longer you can hold the conversation there and the dialogue there, then the easier that third phase is going to be. That's the most difficult, which is usually about money or it's transactional or all the hard stuff. But that second phase where you first, let's say, meet somebody, it's where you want to make sure that this person understands that they're not just there meant to be sort of the, this isn't the, the, the road to an outcome that you want. This is really a journey that you want to sort of stay in and enjoy. And it's curiosity and it's wanting to know somebody, not for the sake of doing a deal with them, but just for the sake of getting to know them. And I really find that this is that place where you have to be authentic because people know when you're not. If you really want to show that you're interested in somebody, you can't ask them a question and then look at your phone to see if somebody's text you, right? So it's where we have to, with all our all our authenticity, show up and actually be interested and curious about people, about whoever this individual is, whether they're a father or mother, you know, their, their interests. You know, the beauty of, of Zoom these days is that we see so much in the background of people that, that we normally wouldn't see because a lot of these conversations were in boardrooms or conference rooms or offices. Now it's personal. Now you have all of this information with which to create a conversation. And who's not interested, right? It's such a privilege to be in somebody's living room and bedroom or, or family room. And, and here they are sort of giving you a piece of themselves and you don't pay attention, right? So it's like if you actually dedicated yourself to enjoying this journey of getting to know somebody, as opposed to thinking this is the means to that end, then I think it changes everything. And, and your question was then, what about the other person? What if they don't want to do this? I find that most people, if not all people, like to be seen. They like to feel important. They want to feel like they're somebody more than just their job or their title or their position, that they're a real human being. And, and if we can see somebody, if we can, we can focus on them, again, with clear intent, right? This has got to be authentic. Then I feel like people open up. And the minute they open up and the minute you're sort of engaged in this conversation, building rapport, connecting with somebody, then by the time you get to that third stage, which is usually the most painful, that everything's sort of changed. You've, you've connected with somebody, you've built a tie with somebody that goes well beyond just the deal that you're about to make. People become more empathetic. People 
become, you know, more interested in maybe your needs and their needs. Your intentions are better and and more, I would say, less sort of pinpointed on just the deal that you're making, but really about sort of humanity and about relationships. So I think that's that's the secret is like embrace this moment of getting to know someone. And once you do that, then I think everything changes. Even the most difficult, hard-nosed negotiators are human beings at the end of the day. And does that advice change if you're negotiating with your child? No. <laughs> Actually, no. Their, their, magic, their powers would go well beyond that to say that they are probably the best negotiators. <laughs> but that's because they do that so well sort of naturally, right? They're naturally curious. They're sort of come in with little sort of scars and bad experiences. So they're almost far more, so there's less biases, right? They come in with a clean slate and that clean slate is that of curiosity. And that's what makes them so brilliant, right? Because you can't help it. It's like they, all the questions, their emotional intelligence, they know when mom is in a bad mood. So they're going to ask dad because they pay attention, right? And so that's why they're so good. It's like, as we get older, we lose a little bit of that magic. (laughs) Yes. I feel like I'm constantly getting a run for my money. That's for sure. (laughs) You mentioned in the book, your, you know, your background and having come over from Iran when you were about eight years old. And then you went into later in the book, you said something like, you're worried you're still a disappointment to your parents that you didn't become a doctor. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, she's a Wharton professor. She's written this book, all this career success, and you're still sort of doubting yourself. Tell, tell me a little about, about that. Hello, imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, and it was hard to talk about it in the book. This is, I'm a really private person. This was a really self-revealing experience for me. Quite cathartic, actually, because a lot of these things... I don't much talk to people about nor really nor really confront it myself, but I do. I remember very clearly my graduation day at Wharton. And um I was, you know, on stage, I was actually giving the speech, the commencement speech, and and you know, I'm kind of graduating with honors, like all these accomplishments, right? You would think I would be at the sort of the apex of my of my sort of career at that point. And I sort of looked out and I saw my parents sitting in that sort of distance and very quickly this feeling of, I bet they're still disappointed. It just came over me. And I, and I mean, and I can't, it's like, so I always talk about imposter syndrome being that, that guest that you want to leave and they don't leave, right? No matter what you do, right? They just kind of hang around and it gets you at times where you least expect it. But what that tells me is that, you know, it's the, the, the stories we tell ourselves, right? And the, the language that has become so routine for me that I have to do everything in my power, even at the point where I appear to be so, you know, I've, I've, I've achieved some level of success, something to be proud of. It's still that little girl in the back of my mind that's saying, yeah, but they really left for you. They really wanted you to be a doctor. And here you are, you're, this is selfish, or this is something you're doing for yourself. You're still not that what they wanted you to be. And that's why it's so hard. It's so hard that that breaking that self-talk and and confronting it and really learning how to retell the story. And in that moment, it had to be really quick because I was like, this is the last moment you want to feel sorry for yourself or feel like you're a disappointment, right? But it gets you at, at the most unexpected time. So you have to just be really good at saying, no, not right now, guest. Nope. I'm going to close the door. You're not allowed in right now, right? And just kind of that self-work, which is which is hard. It is hard. Have you discussed this with your parents? 
Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I, I have. Unfortunately, they're both in sort of early stage dementia now. So, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, that's a hard end of itself. But I think it was work for me to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, if somebody even tells you something different. Yeah. If it really matters, because that's sort of external again. Right. It's the internal stuff that you have right. to really change. You're absolutely right. Wow. This is great. Getting a little therapy. This is helpful. For <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and you also wrote about your MS diagnosis and what you do to take care of your health and fitness and how you've sort of never been fitter. And that in turn has lessened the resurgence. That's not the right word, but where it flare, the flares of, of when it comes back and that you wrote that people would be shocked to even learn about it because you never talk about it. So why keep it so private? And then how do you feel now? Are you still following like the same tactics? Are they still working? Like I found myself very concerned, <laughs> like reading the book. I'm like, how is she now? Yeah. So I was diagnosed in 2010. I have not yet had a relapse. Nice. Um, and I kept it private because I think I never wanted people to see me first as somebody who had EMS, but really see me for who I was. And really, I, I didn't want the judgment. I didn't want people, again, to tell a story that was different than the one I was telling myself. Outside of that first part where I got diagnosed by a doctor who 
clearly was not the right doctor for me. And then I moved on to find the doctor that I'm with now. I never, I've never felt sorry for myself and I've never felt, I, I seriously, in a lot of ways, it was a blessing. And I know people say that, but I, I really sort of mean this and that before all this, I used to think that I was selfish if my family needed me or something. And I really wanted to go to the gym and work out or whatever space I carved out for myself. Now I've learned that actually that's not selfish at all, but it's, it's, it's really in some ways it's survival, it's self-love, it's all those things that we so need just to replenish ourselves. And the book was again, really hard in that way because it wasn't something I talked about. I mean, my closest family didn't know about this, right? Just outside of my sort of, sort of my sister, brother, maybe nephews and, and parents, nobody really knew. I never talked about it. And um, I decided to just come right out, <laughs> put it out there for the world. But I was ready because I said, first of all, this might help people who who just get the diagnosis and, and do what I did, which is in my mind, I had this associated somebody with MS being in a wheelchair, or, you know, having to be so dependent on people. And I'm everything but. And I thought, Maury, this is that opportunity to tell those people that it doesn't have to be that way. And and there's so much hope and there's so much progress. There's so much in medicine that, that we've seen that really help those of us with MS. But, you know, the funniest thing is that I don't even think there are most days I don't even remember. <laughs> and I think it's because I feel so good. I, I My non-negotiables are my workouts. Like I, I will not forego my fitness or take that time for myself, but that I sort of carve out. And this has given me the courage to do that without punishing myself for it. And it's, I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I did it. And I think that I hope it's helped people because that's, it, it's changing my mindset really helped me. And I think it was actually everything. Wow. What is your workout of choice out of curiosity? You know, I really love boxing to be honest with you. It's, it's like, you just feel really powerful. You know, if you're really angry, you can sort of imagine that person, <laughs> you're sort of, you know, and it gets out the anger, but it's fun. It's athletic, but you know, I love everything. I'm, a, I'm one of those people that loves pushups. I mean, you know, who does that? But I like lifting and it, all of it. I think it's the endorphins and I was never athletic. So feeling like I'm that, and I just turned 50. So feeling that way at the age of 50 feels really good. So I think anything you can give me that makes me feel actually really good about being in my body. I really love, but I do love box. I used to love soul cycle for the same reason you would go in their dark room music. I, I just forgot. I forgot about everything outside of that place. So yeah, I, I, I love all things workout. That's great. Yeah. I feel like I've been a, a part of every workout trend in history. <laughs> I'm 45, like? but I feel like I started with, you know, aerobics with my mom, you know, I've done everything from step to slide to, you know, just whatever came next, you know, so. All of it. Yeah. Spinning. Yeah. What do you like? Just curious. I basically did barely worked out last year. So I'm like trying to get back to where I was, but my current thing is a mix of like cardio hit classes and strength training. So I'm hoping that works better. Yeah. I, I love that that you just said, because I just realized that, oh, we don't have to actually do it for that long. Like you can just it could be quick and it's efficient. So yeah, that's the advice I got. So I'm, I'm sticking with the like 20, 30 minutes, like yesterday was 20 minutes, but I was drenched in sweat. I like couldn't even do my next podcast. I was so sweaty. I was like, I have to be on my knees. So anyway, I'm like, that must've done something good, better than just sitting and doing another podcast. It's just that little bit of time. That's yeah. awesome. So what for you personally has been sort of one of your toughest negotiations? 
Probably all the ones I've done with myself. I would say, and I talk about this in the book, I, I was in a, I started my company, my first company when in 97, I was quite young and partnered with somebody that was much older than me. And I sort of, you know, throughout that process sort of gave away all my power because I was like, who am I? I'm so young. How, what do I know about this stuff? Right. And he's got his MBA. He's very smart. And throughout the course of those 10 years, I just continue to fall back to his position and his sort of interests. And, you know, when I decided finally, because I, in, in my mind, I couldn't fail, right? The whole parents thing and like, oh, yeah, they knew you were going to fail. You can't do that, right? So that was never an option. But at the time where I finally realized that I just wasn't happy anymore, right? I didn't feel whole. Like entrepreneurship is hard enough and to do it and be miserable, I was like, this is ridiculous. And when I realized that part of the reason I wasn't happy anymore is because I didn't even know who I was. I, I, I wasn't doing anything because I wanted to do it. It was sort of this like, you know, robotic almost. And when I ended that relationship, it was not an overnight thing. It took a lot of, you know, negotiations with myself, i.e., you know, if you do it, are you willing to take on this debt? What will that do to your life? If you do it, you may ruin this relationship. You may never know this person again. You know, that would be the end of that. Are you willing to do that? What will your family think? Like all of those, you know, sort of smaller conversations that put together were this huge negotiations with myself may have been the most difficult because it kind of touched on so many different things, my own values, whether I wanted to honor my own happiness, how important that was, you know, financial things, parents, it was hard and it was the best probably outcome ever. And maybe I didn't know it at the time, but it certainly it's been one I've learned a lot from and not because I wasn't battered and bruised. There are many, many scars to show for it, but I learned so much. And, and at the end of the day, I realized that it's because I took my power back and, and whatever mistakes were going to be associated with that, they were my own to make. And I think that changed a lot of ways the course of my life and, and the way I sort of approach negotiations actually in general. Wow. And in terms of your teaching and like your day-to-day -day life, and then I know we're almost done, but have there been students that have really taught you a lot about yourself or like things you've learned from your students that maybe you hadn't expected or like students who have stuck out for you or just some sort of relationship that's come out of your teaching career? There's so many. So the, the first thing is that being in a classroom that I've loved, loved so much, but it's the only place where I'm my most, most authentic self, first of all, but also where I forget everything that exists outside that classroom. So it's like you are just so present and that's amazing. It's also really exhausting because, you know, you come out, you're like emotionally drained, but for those three hours, that's, this is the only world that sort of exists for you. And the depth of connection as a result of that has taught me how important it is just to be present in your life. And and the way you really connect with people, you know, we cry in class, we're intimate in class, we're vulnerable in class. And it's hard to believe, right? Because, you know, this is, it, it's sometimes the very first class of the semester. And part of that has taught me when, again, you see people and when you honor them and when you honor that moment and the, the just being fully present in your life, how magical that is. But what my students have taught me, and particularly I think my undergrads, is that, you know, we have a lot of complaints about sort of this younger generation, but they're so courageous and they just show up and they are unapologetic and 
they are everything that I wish I had been at their age. And I can work with that, right? I mean, there are still things I teach them. Like, you know, when you email a professor, you probably shouldn't say, hey, but you know, like those things, I'll, that's just decorum. But everything else is like, they're just, their souls appear so free, right? And they're so courageous. And so I've, I've, I love that. I envy them in a lot of ways. And then my job is to sort of help them harness that and really sort of help them sort of guide it in the sort of the right direction and with the right energy. And they still have their self-doubts and all the rest of it, but their courage in the way they show up in life. My entrepreneurs, on the other hand, are equally courageous. And, you know, through thick or thin, they've had this dream, they've had these goals, and that's what they do. And they're resilient and they're they lean all the way in and and they just do it. And so I have a privilege of teaching so many different people from so many different walks of life, from executives to students. And I have to say, I learned something from all of them because I am so present. And I think they teach me far more than I ever teach them. And it comes just from being able to just shut everything else off and just be there. And I, I, it's probably because I'm so in love with it, but that's, it's great. I get a lot more back, I think, from them. Gosh, this is a a big sell for being a professor. (laughs) That sounds amazing the way you describe it. So (laughs) it really is. It really, and I never, ever, I mean, I was that person who was afraid to stand in front of a classroom or read off of a, and we had phone books back then, but phone books are a book, right? But now I, it doesn't matter if 3000 people are in front of me. It's like when you really love something and you feel like you have something to offer, it changes everything. And it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Mari. Thanks for talking about your book, Bring Yourself. How can everybody find you? Are you on Instagram? So I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm to Harryport. My website, which is Mari to Harryport. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. There's. It'll be hard for people not to find me as long as they can spell my last name. <laughs> they can get to me. But yeah, I, on all those things. We just launched a newsletter. All they have to do is go to my website and sort of sign up for it. But yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on all the above. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thank you, Zibby. Thanks for having me. This was great. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.